Hello and welcome to the another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. I'm joined as normal by Kuka Hill. You can read him, actually now new site expert at Piston Powered. You can also read him on my site, Truck Thoughts, and find him on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. Follow him on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. Uh, you can read me a whole bunch of different places, including Hashtag Basketball, Palace of Pistons, Piston Powered, my own site, Truck Thoughts, and follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore Truck. Um, we've been away for a while. I most It was mostly my fault. I got, it was his fault. I was having, like, I wasn't super sick, but I was having some throat issues, like just my throat kind of hurt. So I was just kind of like, and also I just admittedly, I also kind of got lazy. So, yeah, we've been away for a little bit, but we're back in the saddle. We're going to keep going. And, obviously, we've got a lot to talk about. So, uh, where the Pistons currently stand, they are, let me bring it up again, they are 13-7. They've won five straight games, five straight games since Blake Griffin appeared on Hot Ones, which is a nice little thing, uh, including last night, or when this comes out, it'll be two nights ago, a victory over the Golden State Warriors on a back-to-back after beating the Chicago Bulls the previous night. So, um, by the advanced numbers, the Pistons, this is going totally off the top of my head, but I think they have the 13th-ranked offensive efficiency in the NBA, the 7th-ranked defensive efficiency in the NBA, and the 10th net rating. So, a lot of things are looking good. A lot of guys are starting to play better. Uh, Reggie Jackson's playing better. Blake Griffin's playing as well as ever. Andre Drummond's playing as well as ever. Some guys are starting to hit a few more shots. Uh, just all in all, it's on a little bit of the up and up, but in December, it's a tough, tough, tough schedule for them. So we're going to kind of start off by um, jumping into the Warriors game that they just played, obviously, and then we'll just sort of go into some bigger picture stuff. So Koo, start us off. Warriors game the other night, back-to-back, Steph Curry's first night back, and the Pistons really sort of screwed that up. Everyone was talking about how Steph Curry's going to come back. He's going to terrorize the Pistons. It's going to be ugly. They're going to destroy them. And the Pistons end up winning 111-102. They're, quite frankly, they're in control of the game for the the entire game, pretty much. It was never a blowout. Uh, the Warriors cut it pretty close a couple of times, but they were pretty firmly in control from start to finish. Really great look for the team. Good win. So go ahead and take it away. Can you want me to talk about the, uh, the Golden State game? Yeah. Um, well, you know, obviously, I think the biggest takeaway is the fact that I believe after this game, the Pistons are now, like, first against opponents, uh, forcing points, uh, the three-point percentage, opponents' three-point percentage. And you can clearly see that against the Golden State Warriors. We did an absolutely tremendous job of chasing them off the three-point line. There was a couple, uh, I saw a couple people of the Warriors, like little beat writers and people who follow the Warriors, they were talking about how it's one thing to have Clay Thompson hitting mid-range, another thing just to be running plays for it. And really, that was basically a lot of the whole game. The Pistons were chasing them off the, the three-point line to force them to take either runners and middies. And that obviously is the way, especially with this new era of basketball, that's what you want. And with players like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, achieving no small feat, that's insane. And a lot of that you can attribute to uh, Stanley Johnson, Bruce Brown. And also you saw Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson was doing a decent job chasing, hustling off screens, forcing them off the three-point line. And I tweeted that uh, when Ish Smith got so 
that he was definitely going to set Curry on a three-pointer at some point, and he didn't do that, so that's a big positive. But, yeah, basically, this my biggest takeaway, other than the fact that we just beat the back-to-back champions, is that we did a tremendous job defensively chasing them off the three-point line. That's just been really all year. The Pistons have been great at chasing teams off the three-point line. And that's a winning formula, especially in this new day of basketball. So, yeah, that was that was my biggest thing. And I'm sure we'll get into Stanley Johnson, maybe Bruce Brown, mainly Stanley Johnson later on in the podcast. But that was my biggest takeaway, how well we did defensively on the Golden State. Whether Steph Curry wasn't 100%, whether he rushed or whatever, it's hard to just, like, even if he's just rushed and not hitting his shots, if you just watch the game, Steph Curry has, like, should have like 99 stamina on 2K because that guy just moves like nonstop. He doesn't get tired. There was one possession I was watching Bruce Brown chase him around. Steph Curry literally came off like six screens off the baseline. Didn't get it one way, then ran all the way to the other way. Didn't get it, came down, stopped, ran all the way back. Like, it's tiring. And even Dwayne Casey was like, yeah, Bruce needed to be subbed out. Yes, for a sub out because of how tired he was. And that's the fact that we were able to do such a great job with it. It's just is really big to me. Well, so let's let's talk about some of these things in a sec, okay? Um, so first off, just to touch on what you mentioned there. So opponents, the Pistons are holding opponents to the fewest three-pointers made in the NBA, the fewest three-pointers attempted in the NBA, and the worst three-point percentage in the NBA that they're making their opponents do. So, yeah, and you've touched on it. A lot of people have touched on it. They're doing the right job there. But connected within that, okay, so overall the Pistons are allowing opponents to shoot pretty well from the field, but the Pistons have allowed opponents to take the second fewest shot attempts total in the NBA, and that's because they rebound the ball really well. And so it's just kind of, you know, they're they're doing a good job with that, and in particular defending the three-point line, and you look at the Warriors last night, Kevin Durant went 1 of 7, Steph Curry went 3 of 9, Klay Thompson went 1 of 5. They only took 26 threes as a team last night, they shot 23%, 6 of 23. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about the defensive scheme quite a bit earlier in the season. And, you know, it's kind of funny, there's been a few people who've been a little bit of a of a gotcha because it's like, her dur, it's working now. But our main complaint was that Andre was dropping back so far, right? And such. And we kind of said, or at least I know I said, and you said the same thing, is that whether it's Andre misreading the scheme or not understanding the scheme or that that's what the scheme is calling for, somehow that should change. He shouldn't be, you know, you don't want to drop back as far as they were in the first, like, what, six, seven, however many games of the season that was. And at this point, they've, they're, he, he, they're not dropping back so far. They're bigs. In particular, Andre... It's still a drop coverage. They're still giving guys space in the mid-range. But he's been more able to come out and sort of swipe at guys, go for steals and such. And so the defensive scheme has looked better, which in the end I suppose what it basically tells us is that early in the season it was just Andre Drummond not fully comprehending the scheme as well as he should have. And he's sort of come out of that. And I got to say I'm impressed by the way the Pistons have defended I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I believe they're going to keep up their three-point defense all season, uh, just because 
and they have done a good job, but just I would be surprised if they ended up being the best three-point defense in the NBA just because of the fact that, you know, they they don't have that many good defenders on their team, so you wouldn't think it. Um, but beyond that, you know, just because you brought him up, we can get right into Stanley Johnson and also Bruce Brown. Um, I want to say something about Bruce Brown first. Is that sure. So I really like Bruce Brown. I like him a lot. I've been impressed by him. I did not think he would be um, at all capable of being on an NBA court in meaningful minutes as a rookie. I thought there was basically no chance of that with him. But with his defense, some people need to pump the brakes on him just a little bit, which is to say, like, there's some people who, the way they talk about him, you'd think that he's already right now the second coming of Tony Allen. And he's not there yet. Uh, the main thing that he does is he fouls at an absurd rate. Per 36 minutes, Bruce Brown commits 5.6 fouls. That is a lot. That's more than Henry Ellenson. Um, <laughs> like, that's just, that's way too many fouls. He's got to be able to, you know, he's got to be able to chillax off of fouls. And he does sometimes get a little bit lost off the ball. He sometimes will switch or attempt to switch or not switch when he clearly isn't supposed to. And, you know, just sort of little stuff like that. And that's okay. These are things that almost all rookies struggle with in some way, shape, or form. So I'm not ragging on Bruce Brown. I'm just saying, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. He's a good defensive option in some matchups off the bench. But he's not a guy, you know, I think that, I think that his performance against James Harden against Houston sort of, sort of, gave some people a little bit of rose-colored glasses with him because it's like because for like four minutes at the end of that Houston game, he really looked awesome against James Harden, and so then people ignore the fact that he commits too many fouls and he sometimes gets lost off the ball. So, Bruce Brown is wonderful. I've been impressed by him, but just he's not Tony Allen yet. So, we're going to talk about Stanley Johnson next, so I'm going to let you start with that because I know that you want to talk about Stanley Johnson. Yeah, I see you looking over at me. I see that smile spread across his face, and he's just thinking, oh, man, my baby boy, Stanley Johnson. You can talk about Stanley. Now, I just want to say to all of you who told me for the past two years, Koo, give up on Stanley. Koo, Stanley just isn't that good. Koo, Stanley just isn't developing. He's never going to be a good, good player in the NBA. All of that, you guys can all shile up with that. Because the past 12 games of him coming off the bench, he has looked like a completely, actually, I'm not really going to say a completely different player. He looks like the player that I expected him to be, the player I've always thought he can be. And and like I said yesterday on Twitter, me and him are walking around with this middle finger tour together. We're walking down this, this middle finger tour, giving all you guys the, the middle one. And it's going to continue for the rest of the season because I don't plan on Stanley Johnson to start struggling at any point. Let, actually, let me calm down. Let me take it easy before I get caught up in hyperbole like I did last time with Glenn Robinson. <laughs> but in all, in all actuality, Stanley Johnson has been playing extremely well. His defense, as usual and as expected, has been nothing short of terrific. He Actually, yesterday he got beat pretty bad by KD on one post-up. I was kind of disappointed on but. Outside of that, his defense has been pretty terrific. And then offensively, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I I believe that in the last 12 games coming off the bench, I saw Rod Beard tweet 
that he is averaging 12, I believe it's 12.7 points a game on 47% shooting and 36% from three. I'm sure Joe is. Joe probably has a better idea of it, but I believe that's what it was on four rebounds a game. And he, ever since going to the second unit, like I said earlier, he looks like a way, like the player that I expect him to be. He's playing with so much more confidence. Yesterday, he had a couple drives of the rim that you never would have expected him to take, like maybe like a couple weeks beginning of the season or last year. Like he had one when he drove in, he threw it right off the backboard. And just, it was, I'm not going to say he passed it to himself. But he, like, threw it off the backboard and just followed it right back up and put it back in. Like, those kind of drives, you wouldn't see – you're not going to see him do, like, a couple – like, maybe a month back or last year. He just didn't have that type of confidence. And even when he misses – like, he had some misses. And I believe it was two games ago, or maybe even last game against the Bulls, he struggled. Uh, he struggled early on missing shots, but he just kept going to the rim, kept going, kept fighting, kept trying to play his game on offense. And that just that speaks to what I was trying to tell Joe when we first when we first ever had this discussion about this whole oh well Stan and Gundy can't make him make shots. Well, I just feel like that you you wouldn't see this level of confidence from Stanley to go at the rim, just keep going and keep going once he messes up. Well, he he make he misses a shot. He air he airballed the shot from the corner last uh, yesterday, and like I believe it was early third quarter and came right back down to kept shooting the three ball. He made one from the corner, I believe, after that, and then one from the top of the key again. So. He's playing with a lot more confidence. You can tell that he's not out there just, like, worried about making mistakes or worried about what will happen if I do this or that. He's just playing freely. I, my friend, our friend Martin told us that he's looking more like Drew Lee Stanley, and I can see that. So, and ever since, he said yesterday, Stanley, in the post game, they asked him about, how does the second unit play? Have you ever played with the second unit like this, blah, blah, blah. And Stanley was like, yeah, I mean, this this half survival one with Brandon Jennings after he came back from uh from that injury he had and Reggie was already here during that little brief stretch before he was traded for Tobias. He was talking about how fast the second unit plays and how together it plays, and that this second unit rivals that one for being the best second unit he's ever played with, and here in Detroit, he's been here for four years now. So, yeah, you can obviously how you can obviously see how much he helps the second unit, how fast they play how much they play into his play type and his style more than it does with the sec- uh, the starters. But, yeah, I think I think it's clear to see that Stanley Johnson has been playing extremely well. And he came up with clutch shots yesterday for the Pistons. The third quarter, that shot at the end of the third quarter, it may not register as clutch shots according to, like, NBA stats. But that shot right there was extremely needed and clutch. Going, I believe we were down by, we were up by what, two points, three points heading into the third. If he doesn't hit that, so that those kind of shots right there are just what you need from Stanley, and he's been playing extremely well. Um, so the full stats according to Basketball Reference, at least for him coming off the bench this season, in twelve games total off the bench, eleven point six points, four point two rebounds, one point three assists shooting 45% from the field and 35% from three. Um, So that's a true shooting percentage of 56.7%. And, you know, it is kind of funny. The thing that's interesting about it is that as a starter, his true shooting percentage is 44.5%, which is obviously terrible. His usage rate is just 15% as a starter, whereas off the bench it's 22.3%. And it's just... It's not very often that a guy's efficiency goes so far up with his usage rate going so far up. But 
the big thing that really the biggest stat in there that stands the furthest out is in 200 minutes as a starter this season, Stanley Johnson has attempted five free throws. In 240 minutes off the bench, so more minutes, but not a ton more, he's attempted 24 free throws. So it kind of goes into the idea that he just he has the ball in his hands more, he gets to attack more. Um, as far as the confidence thing, I still, I don't know, because we've seen him, when he's moved to the bench, be more effective, all right? This is something we've, we, we both have floated at times last season, when he moved, when he moved to the bench, and then obviously, um, and even the year before that, there was, he moved, he was off the bench a lot, and we talked about the same thing, is that Stanley Johnson might just be a better fit as a bench player, because he can have the ball in his hands more, it's easier for him to run out and transition, etc. So we've seen that before. The main difference between this and then, first off, is just that he's all around, he's a better player. He's finishing at the hoop better, he's passing better, he's making less dumb mistakes. And shockingly, when you've been in the league four years as opposed to three or two or whatever, um, you get better over time, so that's not a huge shock. The main difference is that he's hitting threes, and he's hitting jump shots. And as we've talked about before, there's a noticeable change in his shooting form and his shooting mechanics. And those shooting mechanics, that's not confidence. That's He's really worked his tail off, and he's figured out a good form. And remember, earlier in the season, you know, he was missing a bunch still. So I just, I don't totally buy the confidence thing, especially with a guy like Stanley Johnson, who everyone who has been around him has talked about how he is just boundlessly confident. His fire burns hot is the phrase Stan Van Gundy usually used. And uh, so it's just, I just don't. Hey, my, my mic went out real quick right there. But let, let me, can I just respond to that real quick, that yeah. last point? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, yeah. You're still here. Yeah, just let, me, let me just hit that real quick. Now, I understand that, that his teammates are going to say, I really started bad that we're just now geez. But uh, his teammates, everyone's going to say that he's confident. And Stanley, of course, is confident. He exhibits it in his confidence in himself and the way he's held himself. Anybody who watches the Pistons can tell that he feels strongly about himself. But just to give it just to give like an insider like a little insight to this. I when I played I've played basketball my whole life and I've had extreme confidence in myself. And it's never wavered. But when I, I played varsity ball in high school just like two years ago. And when you play, it's not about just not having confidence in yourself. Like, when I went on the court, it, the way – if the team structure a certain type of way and a coach doesn't have as much belief in you, it's not about you having confidence in yourself. It's about having confidence in doing what you believe on the court and not having to worry about, like, what you can, what's going to happen. So just because he, my point is, just because he's in confidence in himself doesn't mean he, he loses confidence over the past couple years with Stan, Stan Van Gundy. Because when you go on the court, it's not about him being, oh, I can't do, I, I'm just not good at this. It's about, oh, I may not be allowed to do this. If I do it, I may come out the game. And that, that causes hesitancy. That causes him to be hesitant, and then it causes him not to play to his strengths as much. So, like, I'm not saying that he just all of a sudden is not confident in himself. That's not how it works. It just... It's, it's more about him not having a second guess, being hesitant and scared to play the game he thinks he can play. That's, that's why I'm attacking. It's not me saying that he's lost his confidence in himself. He's always had confidence in himself. It's just about him being capable of having the confidence to, the, 
to play to the strengths he has, he believes he has. That's why I'm, that's why I talk about when I say that. I'm not saying he lost confidence in himself as a player. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I guess what I'm saying is I think that the whole, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm sometimes too much of a pragmatist with my sports. But it's just, and I said this before the season too, if Stanley Johnson had a breakout year this year, it wouldn't be because of the magical confidence booster. Like, it's not because Dwayne Casey is nice to him instead of a crank. It's because Stanley Johnson got a lot better this offseason and figured some things out. You know, the main difference is that Stanley Johnson has figured out how to hit three-pointers. That has been the main difference so far. And because everything else that he's shown here, he's shown coming off the bench before. And guess what? When he was a starter, he was struggling just as much as he had in the past. So I really think that, you know, everyone's going to say, oh, Dwayne Casey turned, you know, he's given him so much confidence. And this isn't even a crap on Dwayne Casey thing, okay? I want to give time aside on this podcast to talk about the good things Dwayne Casey's done here because there's a lot to say there. I just think I just think that narrative is just kind of wrong and stupid. Stanley John and it also it undersells Stanley Johnson as a player too. It's not because well, you know, the magical confidence pill that he gave Stanley Johnson. Now Stanley Johnson knows how to play basketball. No, Stanley Johnson's a good basketball player. He's just a really, he's a really, really tricky piece to make work on offense. And we've seen this ability from him off the bench. This is not a new thing for him off the bench. We saw it this past season. We saw it the season before that. That, you know, he seems to just sort of fit better with the bench crew. And that's what it is. And then on top of that, he's starting to hit three-pointers. So I think that's just what it is. It's well, it's a thing that he's been shown to be good at in the past. It's continued. He's a better all-around player because he's improved, because he's worked hard, and he looks like he may have finally figured something out with his long shot. So that's the main thing. But overall, though, I'm totally with you. We're both big fans of Stanley Johnson. I love seeing the way that he's played recently. His defense has been incredible, although, yeah, I remember, too, that um, Kevin Durant, really took him to task on one possession. Like, he really got around him, which I was a little bit like, ah, Stan. But he's really played well. I think Kevin Durant's length really surprised him for their first matchup this year. Because he's, like, trying to body him up like he does everybody else in the post, throwing his strength. And he didn't – it's almost like he didn't realize, that. hey, this guy's probably about seven feet tall. Takes one step. He's probably – he's just going to be able to dunk it. So I feel like that caught him off guard. But, yeah, he really got him in that possession. Just took him to work. Yeah, so I'm I'm thrilled with the way he's been playing. And look, one thing that's worth mentioning, so those off the bench numbers, that's twelve games. Twelve that's <laughs> twelve games playing twenty minutes a game off the bench. That does not make a significant sample size. Yeah. <laughs> this has to continue, right? It's a great sign. I'm uh-huh. thrilled that we see it, but this does have to continue over a longer stretch before you start to make any wide sweeping assumptions. But that said, I'm about to make a wide sweeping assumption. <laughs> if this sort of thing happens, it could low key, it could be hugely impactful to the Pistons as a franchise. Because when you look at the roster, by far, whether this season and then also in seasons going forward, the biggest question mark beyond just you know the health of Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson, which I you know even though it's a bigger question for the Pistons because Blake Griffin's 
had so many health issues. The reality is that pretty much every team in the NBA, the one thing that can bring them down is, well, what if guys get hurt? So if you look beyond just the durability factor, the biggest question of the roster on this team was, are the Pistons going to be able to find enough competence on the wing, basically? You know, two-way competence on the wing at the shooting guard and small forward position. Because, now, Reggie Bullock is good. We're both big fans of Reggie Bullock. I'm a huge fan of Reggie Bullock. I've rode for that guy forever. But he's only so good. And also, we don't know if he's a long-term piece for this team because he's an unrestricted free agent after this season. So, if Stanley Johnson can sustain this the rest of the season, and even if it is that, well, he's just kind of kind of got to come off the bench, but he can still play starter minutes, whatever. If he can do this, that hugely changes the Pistons' trajectory going forward because that sort of gives them that really good wing presence that can go both ways, that can do a little bit of everything. And that would be hugely impactful for the franchise as a whole. And, um, you know, just because I mentioned it, screw it. Let's just go right into it. Some good things that Dwayne Casey's done. Um, do you have anything? I, I'm dropping this on you out of nowhere. Do you have anything that you'd like to start that off with, or should I start it? Actually, Drew, I'd really like to hear you start this off, because anybody who's listened to this, I believe they would say that you've been the, Now, actually, no, let me not say that, because I joined you like at the start of the season with the pessimistic stuff about Dwayne Casey. But I'm not going to take credit for that. I'm going to say that Joe has definitely been the more pessimistic person concerning him. So I'm going to let Joe go at it. Well, so the first thing that I would like to say, just to cover my (laughs) own bases just a little bit, is that every time I've complained about Dwayne Casey, I've always been sure to say the Pistons could have done much worse than Dwayne Casey. Right? I've always tried to make sure to say that. Like, when I say that, there's things I don't like about Dwayne Casey. My intention has never been to be that Dwayne Casey is some bum coach who's no good at all for anything, okay? He does good things. I've always thought that. Just he wasn't the fit that I wanted. But there have been some things that he's done that have been good. Um, primarily, I am really starting to be impressed with the defense. I think that it might be a little bit of fool's gold just because I, I would guess that opponents will start to hit more threes at some point. But... They Even if they do, they're making teams take the right shots. It's really, especially considering the fact, and we've talked about this before, the Pistons do not have a roster that's exactly overwhelming with high-level defensive players. And despite that, they've been a really rock-solid defensive team this season. And the scheme has been a big part of that. So it's just, that's something that overall I've been impressed with. I did not think that it would be that effective out the gate. We'll see if it keeps up all season, but I've been impressed with the defense overall. I would have been, if you'd told me 20 games of the season, the Pistons would have be inside the top 10 in defensive efficiency, I would have been fairly skeptical of you, just because this roster is not the sort of roster that you would think would do that. But they are, and a lot of it has to do with the scheme. It's been really effective. Um, the other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing that I've been impressed with um, schematically is that even though it took longer for him to realize it than I think it should have, he has come to a few realizations in other areas. So one of the big ones is he's realized Reggie Jackson needs to be able to run pick and roll. Um, it's something we talked about pretty extensively earlier in the season. They were doing that not very often. We complained about it quite a bit. There's sort of you know, you 
we, I think the phrase that we use specifically is that Dwayne Casey seems to think that Reggie Jackson is really just a shooting guard. And we complain about it. It's like, no, Reggie Jackson is not a shooting guard. Reggie Jackson is a very bad shooting guard because he's not a very good shooter. And he sort of seems to have figured that out. And while it is frustrating that it took so long to figure it out, at least he did. He wasn't too stubborn to just go, nope, we're going to use him off ball. That's what we're going to do. He's put Reggie Jackson with the ball in his hands more. He's put him in pick and rolls more. And that's been a really good thing for the Pistons. That's been a really good thing for Reggie Jackson. He's been surging recently. Um, another really good thing he's done is he's played Stanley Johnson at power forward more. And in particular within that, right? And it's sort of like, because some people think that it's just simple as, well, play a guy at power forward, and that's that'll fix it. It's how you use them in those positions and how you take advantage of it. And one of the main things that they've done with Stanley Johnson as a power forward that I've really liked is that they've used him as sort of a dribble handoff guy. So having him handle the ball on the outside and having guards come up because obviously Stanley Johnson is big, strong, wide enough that he's able to set effective screens for guys, but also he's a good enough ball handler and fast enough that he's really effective at cutting in if they overplay for the handoff. And also, he's a good enough pass that he can playmake from the elbows. You know, you can put him into the same sort of situations that they put Andre Drummond into last year so much with Andre as a point center, so to speak. They can put Stanley Johnson into those same situations, and he's really, really effective. And the fact that Stan Van Gundy never did that was a frustration for him because it's like, this seems like a fairly obvious thing to do with Stanley Johnson. He's big, strong, can set good screens. He's a good ball handler, not a very good shooter. So this seems like an obvious thing to do with him, and they just never really did it. And that's a schematic thing that they picked up on that has been really, really effective. And it's a good way to make use of Stanley Johnson when he's playing power forward, is that then you have three guards, essentially, who are ideally at least all good shooters. You can have do dribble handoffs with him and can make him really effective in that role. So that's another really good schematic thing. Lastly, um, now... I'm not sure how much credit of this should go to Dwayne Casey, per se, but somehow or another, Andre Drummond has finally been convinced to stop taking jump hooks when he posts guys up and make aggressive moves to the hoop. This is something that we've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast. It's something that I know I've talked about in my writing constantly over the past two years, at least. I know you've brought it up in your writing before. It's just like, even if you miss this, the same amount of shots, At the very least, when you go to the hoop, you'll draw fouls occasionally, you'll be able to get your own rebounds occasionally, etc., etc., okay? It's so much more valuable to just go to the hoop when you're Andre Drummond. And, you know, once again, maybe this is purely Andre Drummond, but somehow Stan Van Gundy could not get Andre Drummond to just go to the hoop when he was in the post. And now Andre Drummond is doing it, so I'm going to assume that at least some of that credit should go to Dwayne Casey, Because of the fact that that's the sort of thing that Dwayne Casey really thrives in as a coach. Is that players like him, players trust him, he thrives at getting guys to buy into the system, you know? And so, I would say that there's a good chance that he gets some credit there for just convincing Andre Drummond, look, Andre, (laughs) don't take those stupid fading jump hooks. They're bad, they're dumb, they're not useful for us. Those are wasted possessions. We'll let you post up, we'll let you have the ball, Go to the hoop, and it's worked. So that's another big thing. 
And then sort of within that, the last thing, and I know you've brought it up, I don't know if you brought it up on the podcast before, but the main thing that we've talked about with Dwayne Casey has been the biggest benefit for him is that players like him and they buy in. That has very obviously been there this season. That's one of the main reasons why. So I know something you brought up. The Pistons have taken care of business against worse teams. You know what a big reason for that is? They show up and they play hard every night. They don't underestimate guys. And a big reason for that is because Dwayne Casey is the sort of coach that doesn't let teams slip up and they play hard every night for him. And that's the probably the main space where, you know, and once again, this is something that we knew coming into the season. This is the strength of Dwayne Casey as a coach, the biggest strength, at least in my opinion. And it has showed up in a big way. They show up every single night. They play hard. They don't underestimate opponents. They don't dick around. They go out. They execute the scheme. And that's been a big thing for them. And while overall with his coaching, I still am concerned with some things. Uh, I'm not sure what I think of the offense a lot of the times. There's some rotation stuff that I'm still not totally sure about. Um and I'm still highly worried about what happens if Blake Griffin misses even, like, 10 games. But if they can stay healthy, and once again, this is something that I did just to toot my own horn a little bit, <laughs> which I know uh, I do too, but I said this before the season started. If the Pistons stay healthy, they may well be talented enough that Dwayne Casey ends up being a good fit for them because all they really need is a guy, you know, they don't need some great scheme they don't need some great this or that. All they need is a guy who's going to get them to play together, to buy in, and just sort of not self-destruct. And that's all that it's going to take for them to be an effective team. And so far, that's really kind of been the case. Um, everyone's bought in. You brought up after, I forget which game it was. I think this was probably the um, this was probably the Knicks game or something. But after the game, Reggie Jackson was talking about Blake Griffin, and he said, Blake Griffin's our alpha, right? And Reggie Jackson has not been the easiest guy to convince that he's not yeah. the best player on the team in the past. And while, if you, you know, based on what a lot of people have said, he really started to mature quite a bit last season as well. Um, once again, Reggie Jackson is clearly bought into what Dwayne Casey is selling. He's executed the scheme. He hasn't done stupid Reggie Jackson stuff that often there's been a, there's been a couple of bouts of it which we've discussed on the podcast but yes. so those are all things Dwayne Casey's been doing well um so I just just because of the fact that I've ragged on him a lot there's still questions I have about him I'm still not sure that he was the best choice etc 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 those are things he's done good and so when I say the Pistons could have done a lot worse than Dwayne Casey that is what I'm talking about so if you have anything you want to add on to any of that, go ahead. Um, yeah, Joe pretty much, I feel like Joe's over here looking at my notes because uh, that's exactly what I was going to talk about, the fact that Reggie Jackson had that game. Not only did he say Blake's on alpha, he also said Andre. So it's like that, I mean, that speaks, I mean, Joe pretty much spoke for everything I was going to say. You can clearly see that this team is buying in to what Dwayne Casey is preaching. Uh who knows what the reasons are behind that? Maybe he's more, I mean, obviously he's, you can put, most would assume that he's more player friendly. Maybe he has a better relationship with them personally, so they like him more, or maybe they've shown, he's shown to them in practice. 
and earlier on in the season that, hey, this works. We can win. This has worked. So the reasons may be many different, may go many different ways, but it's obvious that this team has bought in. And when you got Reddy Jackson, who's been a noted, you want to talk about someone having confidence in themselves. Yeah. Reddy Jackson thinks he's Michael Jordan. And, and he plays like it too. It's not like he just goes out there and, and, he talks the game and doesn't walk it. He definitely walks it. So to have him, and there's been a couple rumors throughout his career that he maybe have been a locker room cancer at a certain point, whether that's true or not. But um, so having Reggie Jackson come out and say, "Yeah, I accept my role. I'm not the I'm not the guy anymore. This is Blake's team. This is Andre. We work through them. I'm just here to help." That's that's absolutely that really is one of the biggest things I've heard out of this team. In, in a while, because I don't think people quite understand how big that is. That's big to me. And another thing that Joe Joe talked about, Andre Drummond in the post. Now listen, Joe said, like Joe said, we've all talked about it. Me and him have talked about it. I'm sure he's talked about it a bit more of his pieces than I have. But I've been on this, and like I've been talking about it in my little room, in my living room, watching these games for a good I think for Drummond's whole career, I've said forever, I just don't think he understands how big and strong he is. I just don't think he understands it because he's always like, I've never, like, I even got to, I almost got into an argument, like, when I first started doing this stuff, like, two years ago with Duncan Smith, because they were talking about how bad Andre's post play is and how we need to screw the post game because it's points per possession or so low, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, when he gets closer to the basket, he, he like, gets physical. It seems like a better option than you guys are making it seem. And everyone was just like, no, Bob, what you need to fill. What? I mean, I understand, but, like, Andre is so big and so strong that when he just, like, body yesterday, not yesterday, two nights ago he was going against Wendell Carter Jr. Now, mind you, he's a rookie, of course. But this is just the, least, the most recent example I think of. There was one position he got the ball in the post, took two dribbles, and, like, completely and utterly moved him in the post, like, a good 10 feet and just took it easy. Didn't even jump off the ground. Just, just an easy little, like, you can call it a hook, but it was just, like, a little easy lay-in. And, like, when he just gets physical to the basket and just uses his brute strength in the post, like Joe said, there's not, you're, he's either going to get a foul or he's most likely going to get the shot he wants. So, like, screw the jump hooks, Andre. Screw the little jump fadeaways, whatever you want to call them. Screw, screw all that stuff. Also, his face-up game in the post has been a lot better, too. He has a good handle for a big man, which I'm, which we all know he loves showing off. He has a decent, he has a pretty good handle as a big man. And he's done a pretty good job facing up. Just pretty much, I think what me and Joe are saying is, the fact that Dwayne Casey has been able to tell to get to, whether it's Dwayne Casey getting it through his head or Andre just feeling more confident in his other moves. I don't know what it is, but the fact that he's no longer doing the jump fadeaway hooks anymore and trying to do more more physical moves to the basket is amazing. And like Joe said, you have to give Dwayne Casey credit just because it's happened under his watch. And we don't know. That could be a reason. There could be another reason. But it's happened under his watch. So he needs to get credit for that. Well, I mean, so there are a couple of things other than just Dwayne Casey with that. I think one big thing is that now even though over the past, what, four games he's really struggled at the free throw line, um, I think one reason that he took so many of those, like, fading away jump hooks, and because you saw it in other aspects of his game, like when he rolled to the hoop, 
he had been in the past very clearly, he'd been afraid of getting fouled. Like there's just, there's no way around that. That was a mental thing for him. He did not want to get fouled. And when you're a guy like Andre Drummond in the post trying not to draw contact, like that's obviously a bad thing, right? Um, So I think that's a big thing is that he sort of has just gotten over that mental block of that. He's not afraid to get fouled anymore. So he's not desperately trying to avoid it. And then just one other thing. So once again, at least some of this credit absolutely should go to Dwayne Casey there. But it's worth remembering this, okay? It's it's funny because there's a lot of times that we think about, you know, we think, oh, why wasn't this guy doing this before? It's hard to do things on an NBA floor. Like, to be skilled enough at anything, to be able to do it consistently in the NBA, you have to be so stupidly good at it, right? Like, anyone who isn't aware of just how good NBA players are, just go watch videos of, like, NBA guys playing against even, like, good high school players, like the Brian Scalabrini Challenge, that thing where he went and played one-on-one against some of the, like, played against a couple former Division One players and one of the best high school players in Boston when he was, like, 37. And he slaughtered them. He slaughtered all of them. Like, you have to be so comically good. And, you know, as frustrating as it was, when you think back about, you know, the past three years, and I was like, why are they letting him post up? Why are they letting him post up? Why do they keep posting him up? And they always said, we're hoping he develops. We're trying to get him to develop. And that's one thing that, and I've maintained throughout all of it, that the best thing that Stan Van Gundy did as a coach was the way that he worked with Andre Drummond. Because I think Andre Drummond is a vastly better player now than he was when before Stan Van Gundy. And I think Stan Van Gundy gets a lot of credit for that. And there's at least some of this, just like there's no doubt that some of this is a credit to Dwayne Casey for getting Andre Drummond to not take jump hooks anymore. But part of it is a credit to Stan Van Gundy and the rest of the coaching staff for being willing to let that dude keep plugging away and keep getting better, keep getting confident to the point that now here we are, He's 25, right? Yeah, he's 25. He's in. He's finally, you know, in his prime, and he's good enough and confident enough and skilled enough that he's able to just take the ball, put it on the floor, drive to the hoop. And the thing that you have to remember with Andre, and we've talked about this before with other things too, is just how comically raw this dude was when he showed up at the Pistons. He was the sort of dude that if he could not touch the net from where he was standing, you didn't want him to touch the ball, right? Like, he was that kind of a player when he showed up. And he's just Uh come so far. So, just the whole, Andre Drummond as a whole, it started in a big way last season, and it's continued this season. It just, the way he has progressed as a player on both ends of the floor is just so impressive. And, you know, while we're talking about Andre Drummond, I want to bring something up. So, obviously his like his counting stats are pretty gaudy this season. 18.6 points, 16.4 rebounds per game, okay? And I've seen a few people mark mention that basically the only reason his counting stats, in particular his scoring, is higher is just because his usage rate is higher and he's taking more shots. Because his his efficiency is not great for a big a big man. Even if you take a shot take away the big man designation his efficiency is not that great his true shooting percentage is like 53 percent yeah so here's the thing okay it is true that Andre Drummond is 
scoring more points this year just because he's taking more shots. But there's a reason he's taking more shots. So, Koo, what do you think Andre Drummond's offensive rebounding percentage was last season? I have no clue. Last year, Andre Drummond rebounded 16.4% of his own team misses. What do you think that is this season? 23. <laughs> no, that that would be that would be a record by far. 19.4%, right? So if you want you just 19.4 this year. If you want just the raw numbers, okay? Last year, Andre Drummond had 5.1 offensive rebounds per game. This year, 6.4. He is literally averaging over an extra offensive rebound per game from last season. That's absurd. He's actually getting almost a full rebound less on defense this season. This dude is not rebounding cheap rebounds. That's one of the things that also just, in a bigger picture thing, like, how can you be as good a rebounder as Andre Drummond while not being at all selfish about trying to get as many rebounds as you can? Like, he doesn't care at all about other people getting defensive rebounds. And I wish he would. I'm invested in him having a high rebounding percentage. Andre, be selfish about your defensive rebounds. But, like, that's why he's... (laughs) That's why he's scoring more. That's why he's getting more shots. It's not just simple as, well, he's shooting more. He's shooting more because he's creating shots out of nothing. So I tweeted this earlier today, but the Pistons have now the 13th-ranked offensive efficiency in the NBA. Their true shooting percentage as a team is still 25th in the NBA. They are still a terrible shooting team. Their offense is basically held up by the fact that Blake Griffin is God and Andre Drummond is the greatest rebounder to ever live. That's basically what is going on. Like, they can't, they literally, they're one of the least efficient shooting teams in the NBA. They are terrible at scoring the basketball. But Andre Drummond is such a good rebounder that it's just like, (laughs) we don't hit very many of our shots, but we just take way more than you do. Like, that really, that is literally just what it comes down to. They take, okay, here's a crazy thing, Koo, all right? How many more shot attempts per game do you think the Pistons take than their opponents? Seven. Seven? That is actually almost exactly right. It's just a little bit more than that. Seven shot attempts. Seven. I get it. Seven extra shots per game. That's Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond is incredible. Like... Jeez, people who don't understand how good Andre Drummond is frustrate me, man. That yeah, dude is our, out of this world. Our, our boy Martin, uh, I, I, I don't know I don't <coughs> exactly what the tweet was, but he tweeted out something about how Andre Drummond's, what, scoring like, what is it, like six points a game off of offensive rebounds? Well, and I like think he, took- he's tweeted out um, the total for the team that the Pistons are scoring, like, I think it's like 7.6 points, and that's almost exactly how many more shots per game they're getting. Um, But, like, 7.6 points per game off of Andre Drummond offensive rebounds, and they're shooting, like, as a team, they shoot, like, 55% from the field off of his offensive rebounds. So not only are they scoring a bunch of points off of them, but they're scoring way more efficiently than they are outside of him there. So, yeah, I mean, and one other thing, just a quick note, Andre Drummond is now averaging 1.9 blocks per game and yeah, 1.4 steals. Yeah, block night uh, as the other night. Yeah, so this dude, 
this dude is the real deal. And I kind of, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek yesterday, but I tweeted out, the Pistons have two Hall of, Fames on, Hall of Famers on the roster. I've actually maintained for a while, I think Andre Drummond's going to be a Hall of Famer, and Blake Griffin's going to be a Hall of Famer. And, you know, this can kind of be what we can wrap it up with, unless you've got something else specific you want to hit. But oh, yeah, one more thing. Okay, you can hit that then after this. But So, when people ask me, like, you know, why were you in favor of the Blake Griffin trade? Why did you think it would work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That fact, that's what it is. The Pistons now have two guys on their roster that are have a good chance. And Blake Griffin's probably more than a good chance. He's probably almost a shoo-in at this point, I would think. But they have mm-hmm. two guys on their team in their prime who have a good chance to be Hall of Famers. If you've got that, you say screw it, and you do it, and you figure the rest out. And that's what it is. So what is it that you like want to do? Like you said earlier, with the, uh, like if, if the 12 games from Stanley isn't just a, like a, a stretch, now I think 12 games is more of a stretch. It's like his, one of his – I know he's had like stretches in the past that we've said that people have gotten a little – like high on him about, but I think 12 games probably is like the largest stretch he's had. I don't know. I had to go back and look. I did a piece on it, but but especially as Stanley Johnson like continues to play like this, one of the bigger problems was they got Reggie, their point guard. Now many of there's people out there think they can improve at point guard, obviously, and that they need to if they really want to seriously contend. You got your two big man, and you really were just missing like a wing player. Yeah, Reggie Bullock's fine, but. You, they really have been missing that wing player. So if Stanley Johnson can really like bust out the gate and continue to play like this, like he doesn't even need. I'm I'm pretty sure me and you are, are, are like on the same page here. Stanley Johnson doesn't need to come out and start start scoring 19 points a game for him to be like an ex- extremely good basketball player. He doesn't need to be scoring like 19 points a game, 18 points a game, 17 points a game. He doesn't need to because his defense is so is so great that if he just goes out there and continues to play like this, like 12 points a game on good three-point shooting, on good shooting from the field, he immediately just transforms himself into a, like an extremely valuable asset to a team. That's all he needs to do. And that that right there is one of the missing pieces the Pistons are missing. So if Stanley can continue to be like this and fill in for that spot, I think that does wonders for this team. Yeah, for sure. So, But, uh... Oh. There is one thing I wanted to say. The one thing I wanted to say before we ended it. Um, Luke Kennard's on his way back. And I said at the last end of our last pod that we need to talk about this. And then Joe got sick and we haven't been able to talk about it. But Luke Kennard probably will play in our next game against Oklahoma City. If he doesn't, he'll play after that. Joe, how worried are you about Luke Kennard receiving minutes? I'm super worried about it. I think Bruce Brown is going to play over Luke Kennard. What about Langston Galloway? Langston Galloway is definitely going to play over Luke Kennard. Okay, so he was already. Joe, that was happening before Luke Kennard got hurt. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So me and Joe are me and Joe are both extremely worried about Luke Kennard's playing time, and I just I don't think it makes much sense. I mean, let me let me just get this out the way. I'm, I'm extremely high on Bruce Brown. If you just follow me on Twitter or if you just follow some of my pieces, I, I'm I'm extremely high on Bruce Brown. I think the Pistons found an absolute gem in the second round. Considering all of that, Bruce Brown, unless you need him, like situation against James Harden, like that night, uh, unless it's like a specific situation, 
where you need someone who can stop a on-ball defender, an on-ball player, and you need someone on the ball defending somebody, outside of that, I'm going to be extremely, <laughs> I'm going to be extremely furious if Luke Brown for real sucks to play more than Luke Kennard. Because Luke Kennard, like, Luke Kennard showed so, such promise last year. I saw uh, our buddy Hal going off about this. I believe you just talked about this. If not today, I saw you a couple days ago talking about this. Luke Kennard showed such promise in rookie season. And not just his rookie season, like, even earlier this season, he was, like, he shows the things that you want. And he's just a great shooter. And for a team, like you said, that is just so awful. Outside of Blake Griffin being God and Andrew Drummond just saying our best offense would just be me getting misses and putting the ball back in the basket. For a team like that, you need someone like Luke Kennard, who's such a great shooter. So if he for real does not play Joe, like, I know we're saying we're worried, but if he for real, like, seriously, if we watch this game tomorrow, or like in a couple of games, he's for real. It's not getting minutes. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna like completely sour up on all the positives that we talked about doing Casey, and I'm gonna lose my mind. I I think I I'm not even joking about this. I actually think that's gonna happen. I think I'm that Bruce trade. Brown is going to be playing over Luke Kennard. I think that's gonna happen. And once again, the thing that's going to be most frustrating about it is that, as I mentioned before, Bruce Brown is good, but he is not as good defensively as he sometimes looks. He makes a lot of mistakes, which is okay because he's a rookie. But, like, it, Luke Kennard doesn't make a lot of those rookie mistakes. It was actually one of the most impressive things about his rookie campaign. Is they didn't make a lot of the dumb mistakes that rookies usually make on defense. And so it's just, you know, for now, there's actually not a big difference between them on defense. Luke Kennard, you could probably actually make an argument for Luke Kennard being a superior defensive player just because he doesn't make those kinds of mistakes. And, but guess what? Dwayne Casey's probably going to play Bruce Brown. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I got a feeling, man. And it's a, it's a bad feeling. <laughs> and would you, if, if you were Casey, would you rush? No, actually, not if you were Casey, because we're both sitting here saying we're worried Casey may just not yeah, very many minutes. But if you were the coach, would you rush Luke Kennard back in tomorrow? Like, if you if you were the coach and you weren't talking about Dwayne Casey playing over playing Bruce Brown over him, you you were planning on Luke Kennard getting minutes. Would you rush him in back tomorrow and like play him the certain amount of minutes that you like would play him in the other night, or do you think that he should be on a minute restriction? Um. Well, you know, I was so I was I covered the game that he played in Grand Rapids, of course. So. Um, oh, yeah, Joe got a good interview with them, too, everybody. Everyone go check out Joe on Twitter, at Joe underscore truck, and check out that check out that video, because that was pretty cool that Joe got the interview with Kennard. Yeah, by the way, super nice guy, like, legitimately, supremely nice guy, which, I mean, he went to Duke and is from Ohio, so you never know for sure with those types. But, yeah, really, really, really nice guy. I was really impressed by him just as a dude. But, um, as far as... I, you know, I don't know all of the medical stuff with him. So just because of the fact that things are going pretty well, if there's like some sort of a chance he could re-injure himself badly or whatever, I would, I'd be cautious with him. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them being cautious with him because the reality is they're playing really well. And even though obviously I do not think Bruce Brown is even close to as good as Luke Kennard, 
he is filling in some of those minutes with some competency, right? So I don't see the need to rush him back from injury. But if it's like, no, he's healthy, he's ready to go, we don't have to be worried about him aggravating it worse or anything like that, then no, we're going we're gonna to play him. Um, and based on what I saw in Grand Rapids, now after the game he said he was a little bit sore. Uh, he only played like 25 minutes, but he said mostly he felt pretty good. He did what he wanted to do. He felt like he was able to do everything that he should be able to do. So based off of that, I would guess he's probably pretty much ready to go. Um, so unless there's some sort of medical information that we don't know about, which obviously there's a possibility that, you know, they're worried about him re-aggravating it or whatever. Um, yeah, I'd play him. I'd put him right into the rotation. Uh, I'd bump Bruce Brown out of the rotation. And I honestly, I'd, I would probably basically put Luke Kennard into the Langston Galloway spot, essentially, and then put Langston Galloway into what Bruce Brown has been doing. So that's that's probably what I would do. So because you know Langston Galloway has been not quite, but he's been close to a fifth starter because Glenn Robinson has not actually played that much, even when he's been starting. He's only been playing in the teens and minutes. And Langston Galloway has gotten a lot of those extra minutes. Langston Galloway is playing 24 and a half minutes per game so far this season. And you want to know something that I thought about? Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking about this, and I believe me and you had a conversation about this before. I don't think it was on the podcast. Oh, yeah, it was. It was on our first podcast together. And we were saying, like, what starting last do you, would you have wanted, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is something that if I was a coach, something I would have considered, or I – or I was considered doing. Glenn Robinson's like playing in the teens in minutes, correct? Mm-hmm. And and if you watch the games, I know Laz, our friend Jack, uh, Laz, is a big fan of GR3. But La- uh, GR3, he makes a lot of mistakes defensively. Like last game, I saw him help off with somebody. I forgot who it was. Might have been KD. Don't know which one it was. Came off and helped off someone who shouldn't have done it. And it like it almost led to a three. They missed it. And then the game before, then he had a couple of the same ones and a couple of unnecessary fouls as well. And offensively, you can say that oh, him just being the threat, shooting the corner three and being able to hit it is helping us. But he's not doing much offensively either. I'm not trying to come at Gr three. I'm not trying to like brag on him. But what I'm saying is, before the season, I said if we weren't going to start Stanley, what I would have wanted to see if we we're going to go to this whole. We're just going to go offense route. We're going to try to be extremely good offense. We're going to outscore people. That's what we're going to do. We're going to say screw defense. We're not going to start Stanley. If that's what we're going to do, I would have wanted to see Reggie Willis and Luke Kennard starting. And if I was the coach and and after seeing DR3, once again, I'm not trying to drag DR3. That's not what I'm trying to do. But after Luke Kennard started feeling it, that's what I would do. If it was me, this is what I, that's what I would do. Because you need shoot, we need shooting so bad, and people, and and we're just not our off like you said, our scoring is just really bad, and we're just not very good at shooting the ball right now. And with if we're just gonna like I said, if we're just gonna say screw defense, because that's basically what we're doing, saying screw defense, we're gonna try to score with the offensive lineup. Then I'm just I'm I'm starting Luke. I'm gonna start Luke with Reggie Bullock and just hope that we outshoot people. We're gonna outscore them, and we're just gonna do our thing offensively. Honestly, outside of GR3's length, I mean, I'm not seeing, like, like a big upgrade on defense over Luke Kennard. I don't think Luke Kennard's bad defensively. People think he is. I think he's usually an average, maybe a below average, but average defender, below, around there. So, yes, if I was the coach, 
Who's hot take of the day? That's what I would do. Well, um, the that's numbers right the numbers mostly back you up. So that starting lineup: so Reggie Jackson, Reggie Bullock, Glenn Robinson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. Um, it has played 150 minutes, so that's not enough to make any concrete observations, but it's enough, like, that's enough of a sample size that you can say, okay, we can say some stuff about this. Um, they're minus 3.5 per 100 possessions. Their offense is 104.2. Defense, 107.6. Neither of those are good. So, the starting lineup with him in has not been particularly good. That said, I mean... Yeah, like you said, before the season, Luke Kennard and Bullock starting on the wings was something I wanted to see. Uh, it's something that I'd be very open to. I think that it could be really effective. But I do think that even though he does make a lot, a decent amount of mental mistakes on defense, I think Robinson is still close to a plus defender most of the time because he is a really good athlete. He helps you rebound. He's got really good length. Um, and there's a certain amount of, and this is the main difference between him and Luke Kennard, for instance, is that there's a certain amount of sort of structural integrity that your defense can have when across all of your positions you can switch on to guys to an extent and you can just sort of defend guys. It's like Glenn Robinson yeah. had some possessions last night where he guarded um, Kevin Durant, and it's like that's not ideal, obviously. But, like, he's not totally helpless against him. If Luke Kennard gets switched on to Kevin Durant, he's done for. He has no chance. And, you know, that's obviously an extreme example. But, so, in their next game, for instance, okay, so they're playing the Oklahoma City, which will be when this podcast comes out, will be tonight, all right? There is something to be said for the fact that when you have Block and Robinson on the wings starting, either one of those guys can defend Glenn Rob, not Glenn Robinson, either one of those guys can defend Paul George and not be totally screwed. Neither of them are going to do that well because they're not good defenders, like, or at least not high-level defenders. Bullock's okay. But they're both, they're just, they're good enough athletes, they're big, strong enough, long enough, that they can do that without being totally screwed, you know? Um, whereas Kennard, if you, <laughs> if Luke Kennard gets switched on to Paul George for whatever reason, he's, he's screwed. So uh-huh. there's just sort of, a structural integrity to your defense that you can have where you don't have a blatantly weak spot. And even though I'm with you on Luke Kennard, I preached it all of last season, I was hugely impressed by him on the defensive end. He seemed to play with a really good intelligence. He plays really hard. And the reason why that impressed me is that that was not how he was in college. In college, he didn't seem to really give any sort of care about his defensive end, of, about the defensive end of the floor. He didn't really play hard. He was lazy, etc. And then in his rookie year, and then I mean, he's barely played at all this year, so I won't even say that. Last year, he sort of suddenly went from being this sort of lazy, nonchalant, not caring defender in college to being sort of your stereotypical white guy defender where, yeah, he's not a great athlete. He lacks length, but he plays really hard. He's always in the right spot. He's got good hands, etc. And... So I'm all the way with you there, but there is something to be said for just sort of the structural integrity of not having a guy on the floor that opponents can really hunt, so to speak. Um, But all that said, I'm mostly with you. I would kind of lean just start Kennard and Bullock, but 
I'm just trying to say I can see the logic with sticking with Robinson, even though the numbers haven't been awesome with those two so far. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see the logic too. There goes Joe with that whole. Well, I can see the logic, but I'm, I'm not going to get on Joe with that for today. But okay, okay. I agree. Here's I the can point. See the, I can see the logic as well. Here's but. the point. Here's the point. Okay. <laughs> I would like to see Kennard and Bullock start. That would be my preference. <laughs> the numbers so far would suggest that the Glenn Robinson as a starter thing is not going that well. Okay. I see all of that. That's the way I lean, but. There's not enough of a sample size to totally throw it out the window, and the thought process behind it is good enough that it's also not worth throwing out the window. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So, I agree with you. I'd rather start Kennard and Bullock as soon as Kennard is ready. There you go. But I'm not going to be super harsh on Dwayne Casey yet. If oh, that I'm, sample I'm, yeah, size gets to be, if it goes another 10 games, which would probably put the minutes total of that starting lineup at like 300 minutes, and the numbers stay bad, then I'd be like, you know what? There's enough of sample size. We've seen it. It was worth exploring. Let's try something else. But until then, I'm willing to withhold. I'm not going to be too harsh on him for it, especially with Kennard coming off of injury, because let's see how Kennard looks, because he's barely played this year. So um, yeah. one other thing that I do want to say quick before we finish on that is that when I say I'd rather I'd sort of like to give Kennard the Galloway role, I want to be clear about something. Langston Galloway has played pretty well this season. Yes. Um, and you know, it is kind of funny because a lot of people have said, ah, oh, he, you know, this has been another thing that some people have given Dwayne Casey credit for, for no reason. They're like, Oh, he's, he's made Langston Galloway a useful player. It's like Langston Galloway is playing exactly what he did last year. Just last year he's pushed out of the rotation because of the fact that Reggie Bullock became awesome and Luke Kennard was better than they thought he would be, right? Like, that's the reason Langston Galloway didn't play that much last year. It's not because he wasn't good. It's just because they didn't have space for him in the rotation. There's space for him in the rotation now to play. And <laughs> if Langston Galloway ends up pushing Luke Kennard out of the rotation, which I think is somewhat likely, <laughs> um, if that happens... It's not because Luke Kennard's not good all of a sudden. It's because Dwayne Casey decided Langston Galloway's better and they don't have space for Kennard in the rotation, which would be very stupid, but yeah, so I was about to that say, could happen. Do you feel the logic so, in that one, Joe? I just want to make clear of something. I'm not, when I say I'd rather play Luke Kennard over Langston Galloway, that's not a shot at Galloway. He's really played well this season, um, and it's been good to see. He's provided a, val- a valuable role, and yeah, so I just, I just want to make sure we're not throwing... Langston Galloway's been good. I'm not trying to say bad things about Langston Galloway. So, any last thoughts before we wrap up? I just want to know, do you see the logic in that one? In which one? <laughs> the, the Dwayne Casey playing Langston Galloway over Luke Kennard. Are you going to say you, you see the logic nope. in that one? Nope, I don't, I don't. That's when I wouldn't see even a little <laughs> bit. Uh, because... Galloway, he's a little bit of a better athlete than Kennard, so he's a little more capable in one-on-one situations, but he's so much smaller that he provides a lot of the same defensive liabilities that Kennard does, quite frankly. So, you know, in terms of, like, having a guy on the floor, because Galloway is a shooting guard, and as a shooting guard, he's very undersized. So he does the same sort of things. He's not as good a shooter as Luke Kennard. He's not as good a playmaker as Luke Kennard. So... Yeah, that's one that I really. That's one of the reasons why it's like, yeah, I give him the, I give Kennard the Galloway role, 
and why if even if they play don't do the Bruce Brown over Luke Kennard, if Kennard continues to play less minutes than Langston Galloway, that is going to be a constant source of frustration for me. Because I just no. That's one that I do not really see the logic in. Uh, I think Kennard is better than Galloway in pretty much every way. So, yeah. Um, we'll wrap up on that. Uh, and we should hopefully be able to be back mostly on our regular schedule. And, yeah, so stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.